And to the Fisher family, thank you so much for those communion thoughts. Such a gift to me. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, Just a reminder, if you have not had a chance to get me a present yet, I'll be out of pocket the next few days. Um, I'll be back in 2018. I'm joking. For all the guests in the room, you may be looking at someone saying this is the most insensitive and self-centered preacher I've ever met. I love you guys. I was reflecting yesterday. This is my 10th Christmas to celebrate with the life of this church. And my family gives thanks for you. Um, And I will not be here next Sunday. So it's the last sermon, last Sunday we have together. Uh, for 2017. It's been a a wonderful year. Uh, I'm sure you have seen a lot of birth announcements before when babies are born or maybe the announcement is made that a baby will be born. Let me show you just a few that that I found that I really liked. Like this one is, you know, we planned for three plus one equals four uh, and God laughed at them and three plus two equals five. So think of some family that received that one one day. This next one uh, is, you know, future ladies man. Um precious. Nobody I know, but I just, if you go to the next one, uh, does this mean that we have to share our toys now? <laughs> Which, some of you have pets and you know what that's like. This next one is probably my favorite, eviction notice. <laughs> go, if you go to the next one, I think I, or I tried to blow, maybe it didn't show up, but the eviction notice is please note that you are required to vacate the premises within 27 weeks and, uh, because the new tenant is expected to move in on March 10th, 2014. Isn't that great? This next one is raising a boy, um, and this is what it's like. <laughs> oh, it's, there should be a lot more Legos on the floor, at least in my house. And this last one that I, that I just found to be humorous is a, a daughter was being born into the world. So here's how he was teaching his son. Number one, you were the bodyguard for her. Number two, you need to get used to the color pink. And number three, we've got to talk about this toilet seat thing, all right? Uh, which I, <laughs> I, know that, I know what that's like. I mean, when my boys have been potty trained, I remember uh, cleaning their bathroom. And when I did, the first time I called my mom and I was like, please tell me. I had better aim when I was growing up than my kids do. And she laughed at me. And now anytime I clean my boy's bathroom, I shoot my mom a message and I say, Mom, I am so sorry. All right, I'm just, I don't know what else to say. Um, we've talked the last few weeks. We've been in the series called Rekindled about what it means to, like, for God to light a fire again, to be kindled again for God. And, and this whole plan of salvation that God is speaking and bringing Jesus into the world. He's speaking light and bringing light into the world. And um, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, like you don't have baby showers. And I don't know if they did that then or not. I find it interesting that Mary ends up leaving and going to spend months with her Aunt Elizabeth. Because maybe there weren't a bunch of birth announcements. Because as we've talked the last few weeks, like for Mary to become pregnant, like the, her identity's on the line right now. Because people would look at her and think, how did you become pregnant when you were not, you're not married yet, you're just engaged, so you've been unfaithful, you, have, you haven't done this the way God wanted you to do it. So reputation's on the line, her identity and, and character's on the line, and maybe that's part of the reason. And you don't have a lot of pre-birth announcements other than Elizabeth noticing some things and hearing a word from God, but post-birth, you have all of these announcements, And they aren't really funny, all right? But you have prophets who are prophesying over Jesus and declaring who Jesus is and and what this means for the world. And and, and the 
post-birth announcements of Jesus' birth were stuff like uh, a sword's going to pierce Jesus and it's also going to pierce you, the mother of Jesus. That Jesus has come into the world to basically turn the world upside down where he's bringing kings and rulers down and he's lifting up the lowly and these birth announcements come. I've talked to you the last few weeks, and Matthew and Luke are the only two of the four Gospels who actually take time to give you a birth narrative where they use phrases and words like a manger, and the Mary gave birth, and so, so Mark doesn't really spend time in the birth of Jesus. He just jumps right into the ministry of Jesus, and, and John has his own unique way to talk about God entering into the world. And let me show you. Open your Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to John chapter 1. I want to read a few verses and then show you something else John writes down the road. But in John chapter 1, all right, here are the first nine verses of John. And here's his language. Here's how the vocabulary he uses to talk about how God has entered into the world. So John 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe he was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, because the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. All right, so here's, here's something that some of you find information like this to be really interesting, all right? Because I, I always, I want people to be really careful when they do word studies in the Bible because sometimes like the way John may use love isn't the exact same way Paul uses love in 1 Corinthians 13. There's nothing wrong with word studies, all right? Just be careful when you do. But here's some words that mean a lot to John that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't talk about much. Uh, combined when it comes to the word love. Matthew, Mark, and Luke use the word love 29 times. John uses that word 44 times. When it comes to the word truth, Matthew, Mark, and Luke use the word truth 10 times total. John uses the word truth 46 times. When it comes to the word life, the Greek word zoe, Matthew, Mark, and Luke use that word a combined 16 times. John uses it 35 times. When it comes to the word world, Matthew, Mark, and Luke use that word a combined 13 times. John uses it 78 times. When it comes to the word witness, to testify, Matthew, Mark, and Luke use that word a combined 15 times. John uses it 47 times. When it comes to the word father, Matthew, Mark, and Luke use that word a combined 66 times, 45 of those 66. Or by Matthew, John alone uses the word father 98 times. And when it comes to the word light, Matthew, Mark, and Luke use that word a combined 15 times. John uses it 23 times. There are these words like life and witness and for God so loved the world and light that are really important for John. And when it comes to John talking about how God entered into the world, he doesn't choose to use like Mary and Joseph and birth and pregnancy and mangers and, and shepherds and wise men. He doesn't, he doesn't use that stuff. Instead, what he talks about is there is life and there is light that is broken into the world. Wednesday night, uh, we had a wonderful worship service up here. And one thing I talked about Wednesday night was that in concentration camps, uh, Jews, they, they did not have what it took to light candles or fire. And these, this goes back way beyond Jesus. For the people of God, they've used forms of light and fire 
for thousands of years. And, and it is about hope. It gives them something to pray through. And, and even today, there are many Jews that on, on the Sabbath day, they light at least two candles. And if you were to look, maybe you've seen documentaries on this. It's shown up in movies. You can just Google it and you can see stories. That in concentration camps, Jews had to get really creative with how they could create forms of fire on the Sabbath day or other festivals. Because fire was so important to, to how they prayed and would sing songs and it's what would give them hope. And, and what many of them would do is they would save their butter. Instead of using their butter for dinner, they would save their butter and they could take thread and, and weave it together or move it together to, to, to be able to light a fire for just a few moments. And people would gather around this little fire that would often just be on a spoon. And they would sing songs and pray prayers and it would give them hope. And over and over again, you have families and you have people who what they would say is they would light this candle. And, and they had to wrestle with this. Some people didn't get it or it took them a while to get it because what they were thinking was if we use the butter, we won't be able to eat it. And they didn't have much to eat. But if we don't use the butter, we're going to lose hope. I find it so fascinating. So I shared that on Wednesday night. And afterwards, there was a woman who came up to me and she said, now it makes sense. Because my grandfather treasured butter growing up like gold. And he was in those concentration camps. And they would cling to it because it, that's what, it's what would give them hope. That God has brought light into the world right, to speak hope and to speak light into your life. Now later on, John wrote another book. It's called 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, he says this. Here's the first part of 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you. This is the message. All right, so for John to say that, what he is saying is, hey, I have spoken to Jesus, I've been with Jesus, I've heard from Jesus, and here's the message he has given to me that I'm passing to you. So if I'm standing in front of you and like someone has lost their life, if I've walked with someone and I, and I stand up and I'm like, all right, here's what his whole teaching boils down to. So get out your phones and your, get out a pad and pull out a pencil, whatever it takes, all right? I want you to write this down. And here's what John says. This is the message that I received from Jesus that I now declare to you. And here it is. That God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That's it. This is later on. This is like the very end of John's life. He's writing First John. Some people say he's 80, 90, maybe 100 years old. And as he's reflecting on the time he had with Jesus. And he's handing something on to the church. What he says is, hey, here's what I heard from Jesus. And here's what I hand to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. What John wants his people to know when it comes to the birth of Jesus and Jesus coming into the world as fully God and fully human is that God created in the very beginning and God still creates. God lit up the world in the very beginning and God still lights up your world and he lights up the world. That this movement of God does not get old for God. I remember growing up that there were some things that the, me and my sister and brother would do that it would just bug my dad and it seemed like such little things, you know, like, we would leave the lights on sometimes in the house. And, and we would hear about it, you know. Like, do you want to start paying the electric bill? You know, things like this, yeah. When you leave a room, you turn off the light. You leave the bathroom, you turn off the light. And this would just bug me. And this is one of those things I, I took as a mental note. I'm like, when I become a dad one day, I'm not saying some of those things, right? And now my boys leave hallway lights and bathroom lights and bedroom lights. And I'm like, there goes your allowance, all right? Like... When you leave a room, turn off the lights. <laughs> oh, man. 
You're supposed to give that amen when I touch the right eyebrow, all right? You know, um, <clears throat> sometimes I wonder if the way we think of God is that when you and I continue to enter into forms of darkness, either because of our own sin, maybe forms of darkness because of de- depression and anxiety and just the, the, so much darkness in the world, I wonder if we think of God like I do sometimes with my kids, as if God gets tired sometimes of us stepping in the darkness and he gets tired of having to speak the light into darkness. But one thing this season reminds me of is God does not grow weary when it comes to speaking and declaring light into your darkness. God does not grow bored having to turn the lights on in your life over and over and over again. He continues to speak light and declare light. God takes great delight in this. To speak and declare light into our brokenness. Now, 1 John 1, 5 is, this is the message I give to you. But before that, here's what John says. We're going back to verse 1 of 1 John chapter 1. That that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our own hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. Um, So, John is... Just letting them know, hey, I've been with Jesus and here's what I hand on to you. And the way John talks in those first five verses is is there this past, present, and future element to God. God is so consistent. And when it comes to faith, we have to be careful that the way we think about faith is not just past tense faith of what God did way back then. And we also have to be careful that the way we think of God is not only in the future. Of this, what, this is what God will do one day. And we also can't ignore the past or the future and only focus on what God is doing in the present. It's past, present, and future. It's all of this combined. It's thinking about the past and what Jesus has accomplished and how that transforms our present to remind us of how God is so present in us. God is with us, Emmanuel, and that transforms how we think about the future. There's future hope and we want it. Now, a lot of times when we're in the present and we're thinking about the future, we may not be thinking about God's future. We're thinking about our future. And have you ever gotten to the future thinking that it would be one thing and it ended up being something else? When you're 10, you may think, oh man, when I'm 18 as a senior in high school, here's what it's like. And then you turn 18 and you're like, yeah, that's, I thought this would be different. Maybe you're 20 and you thought, when I hit 40, I can't wait to be, you know, here's what that will be like. And then when you're 40, you realize that I thought being 40, I I thought life would just look so much different. Right? We do this. We think about it in the future. When we get a certain age, it will be this way or that way. And then we get there and we're like, man, the future isn't what I thought it would be. The Yankees catcher Yogi Berra, he once famously said, said, the future ain't what it used to be. And it's his way of saying that by the time 1965 rolled around, it didn't look like what he thought it would look like in 1945. Here are some statements of what people thought the future would be like. Some of these are just great. There's a journalist in 1893 who said this, law will be simplified over the next century. Lawyers will have diminished and their fees will have been vastly curtailed. In 1949, there was a computer scientist. It would appear we have reached the limits of what it is possible to achieve with computer technology. In 
The Secretary of State in 1954 said the Japanese don't make anything the people in the U.S. would want. In 1955, someone said nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality within 10 years. The U.S. Postmaster General in 1959 said before man reaches the moon, your mail will be delivered within hours from New York to Australia by guided missiles. We stand on the threshold of rocket mail. In 1995, someone said, I predict the internet will go spectacularly supernova and in 1996, catastrophically collapse. (laughs) Which hasn't quite happened, right? Sometimes you get to the future and it's not what you thought it would be. And a lot of people, they, they don't have a lot of hope for the future. And God has something to say about that. The one who knows the past, the present, and the future. Sandy Koufax, who pitched for the Dodgers, once made the statement. Someone was asked about the younger pitcher, and as he evaluated him, this great young pitcher, what he thought, and Sandy Sandy Koufax said, I would rather have his future than my past. And sometimes maybe you think that I would rather have their future than my past, only I think we should change that a little bit. I would much rather have God's future than what my past has been like. And because of Jesus, our past, our present, and our future has been transform forever. Uh, And here's why. There's so much around this season that gives us hope. And there's a story I go back to, and I've I've told this story before, and I tell it because I love it and I need it. There's a woman named Mother Antonia. Maybe you've seen documentaries about her. Maybe you've heard me tell the story before. Her name was Mary Clark. She was raised in California. She was born in 1926. She went through two divorces, had seven kids. was a woman just in a deep She had spiraled. And in 1969, she had a dream. And in that dream, she was about to be executed and Jesus was there. And Jesus told her that he was going to take her place. And in that dream, she put her hand on the face of Jesus and told him that if she lived, she was going to serve him for the rest of her life. So in 1969, she made a change in her life. She wanted to live her life for God. But the problem was, being, being a Catholic, is she tried to step into some other leadership positions, but they wouldn't allow her because she had been divorced in the past. So she just began to try to find ways to serve God. She began serving in jails and prisons and found a lot of life there. So she found a prison in Tijuana, Mexico, just across the border from where she lived. And she began to serve there. And after a few decades of being in that prison, this is the most notorious prison in Mexico. This is where they send like the worst of the worst. Yet anytime these people would hear Mother Antonia's voice coming up and down the hallway, their, their voices would become quiet. They had so much respect for her that when she came around to meet with people and to pray and to read scripture and to speak a word of hope, they listened. And after being there serving in that prison for a few decades, Mother Antonia had gone across the border to be with her family in California. And when she did, a riot broke out in that prison. And, and this was a riot and, and um, she got word of it. So she hurried, she jumped in her car, went across the border. She shows up, the riot's still going on. And people are showing up now with all their gear. They're bringing the professionals to go and to settle, to try to bring peace to this prison. And Mother Antonia found the person in charge and went up and said, no, 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 don't send them, send me in. And now the marshal had to make a decision. Does he send in the trained professionals with all their riot gear or does he send in this old Catholic nun? 
And he decided to send in the old Catholic nun. She talked him into it. And the moment those people heard her voice, they dropped their weapons. And the riot was over. And the reason they have so much respect for Mother Antonia is that at the end of every day for 30 years, when she was finished working and walking hallways and speaking words of hope and opening scripture and praying with all these male inmates, at the end of every day, she didn't walk out into a parking lot where she got in a car to drive to her house. At the end of every day, she would walk down the hallway where they lived and she would walk into her own cell where she chose to live for over 30 years. Because she knew for me to make a difference in their lives, I've got to live among them. And for God to transform and change the world, he knew it's not just a matter of me just dropping a word of hope to humanity. I am going to live among them. It is God with you. Will our elders and prayer leaders go to your places to receive people today? And we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song together as a church. And if there's anything we can do for you, you can see our leaders moving around the room. I invite you to go and find one of them. Before the year is over, if this is a day for someone in this room who has never confessed Jesus as their Lord or has given their life to Jesus, if this is the day where you hear the invitation of God, I invite you to come and to find one of us to sit and pray with you and to help lead you into that decision. Let's stand together. Let's sing a song.